And, you know, we need, we need to get regulations and legislation that prevents local choice out of the way. These people on the tractors, the ones in the production rooms, the ones in the businesses that can go to their representatives and say, y'all need to do something about this because I'm having difficulty running my business. I can't be competitive. You're listening to episode 280 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Christopher recently attended the Broadband Communities Economic Development Conference, where he was able to connect with this week's guests from North Carolina. Krista Wagner-Vincent, Deborah Watts, and Alan Fitzpatrick from the group NC Hearts Gigabit joined Chris to talk about local choice, better connectivity in North Carolina, and how they're using technology to bring people together. Catherine Rice from the Coalition for Local Internet Choice was also there. In this conversation, you'll learn how NC Hearts Gigabit began, who's involved, what they've accomplished, their goals, and you'll also hear some tips on the best way to get the word out and get organized. You can learn more about the group, check out their collection of resources, and even join up at their website, ncheartsgigabit.com. Here's Christopher with Krista Wagner-Vincent, Deborah Watts, Alan Fitzpatrick, and Catherine Rice. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Atlanta, sitting on the runway of the Atlanta airport at the Broadband Communities Conference, talking to you now with three folks from an organization called NC Hearts Gigabit. I'm going to start by introducing Krista Wagner-Vinson, the Economic Development Consultant of the group. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Chris. I'm also going to plug Deborah Watts, the partner of Broadband Catalyst. Good morning. And we have with us as well, Alan Fitzpatrick, the CEO of Open Broadband. Great to be here, Chris. And you can't see her, but longtime friend of the show, Catherine Rice, is off in the wings, making sure we don't screw up too much. So let's start with just what is NC Hearts Gigabit? It sounds like a very, uh, I guess, Web 5.0 now kind of uh, millennial kind of name, the organization. Yeah, absolutely. But we want to reach a large community that cares about connectivity and the ability to network local communities to move forward and prosper in the global economy. So in case anyone's listening to this early in the morning, the NC is for North Carolina. The idea of the name really comes from Charlotte. And Alan, you were involved with this. Um, Where does that come from, the idea of Charlotte Hearts Gigabit? Four years ago, Google Fiber announced that Charlotte was being considered as one of the next Google Fiber cities. And at the time, there were only three cities in the country uh, that had Google Fiber. And a couple of us uh, uh, saw the announcement and uh, decided this would really be good for Charlotte. No one had been talking about high-speed internet in the community at all. None of the carriers, uh, none of the entrepreneurs. uh, It just wasn't a topic of conversation. But when Google Fiber announced they were considering, then people started to get excited. So a couple of us uh, decided we needed to promote this. We needed to advocate to try to attract Google Fiber. And then the conversation quickly generated to, well, you know, we really just need to advocate for high-speed internet in general. Uh, None of us work for Google Fiber. We're not trying to be a company-specific advocacy group. So we formed a group. We called it Charlotte Hearts Gigabit. And the whole purpose was to educate people on why gigabit internet would be good for us and then what you would do with it uh, once you had it. Uh, so then we started looking at Gigabit applications and, and seeing what Mozilla was doing and uh, US Ignite and, and some other organizations. And we found that we really had to educate people on the use cases. So we had to bring people together. And surprisingly enough, the techies were one of the hardest groups to win over. 
because a lot of them would say, well, why do we need this this speed? You know, right. And, and there's a, a fair amount of just natural antagonism of I know more about technology than you do in that community, maybe. Um, let me just ask you one other thing, though, and that's it comes out of a question that we had yesterday on my panel, which was, what do we need to do to get better broadband in this country? And my answer was that we need more people stepping up as citizens of communities. You're not the mayor of Charlotte, I don't think. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just a citizen. But you stepped up and, and did something. I'm, just, I'm curious, do you have a history of doing this? How did you get into it? It was a first-time advocacy effort for myself. I'd always been, you know, in corporate America. I was just passionate about the topic. I found some other people that had like mind, and we decided just to uh, start holding conversations and holding events. And then uh, one thing led to another. We ended up getting Google Fiber, which was great. And then even better than that is we attracted other carriers to do the same thing. So AT&T Fiber came into Charlotte as well. Uh, Comporium, which is a, a carrier just south of Charlotte and Rock Hill, they started offering gigabit speed. And uh, miraculously enough, Time Warner Cable suddenly increased their speeds you know, at the same prices. So consumers won because there was competition and all this was happening. But to your point, Chris, this was the first time I had ever done this uh, as a consumer advocate. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, we made a lot of progress, and now we're trying to take it to the next level for the North Carolina. So let me bring Deborah in. I, I'm curious how you got involved with this uh, this ragtag group. How did you were you involved with Charlotte at all, or did you just jump in with the NC Hearts Gigabit? No, I think my links are are the opposite of Charlotte. They're much more rural because I come from a huge family, and my husband does as well, and it means that probably a third of the state's related to me, but they're all <laughs> in the country. And I, uh, at a visceral level, am aware of what they're missing. You know, the kids who can't get the AP courses and can't apply to the best colleges, not because they're not bright, but because they don't have the credits in the right courses. You know, that's just one thing or the hospitals that close. I spend a lot of time running around rural North Carolina, and the reality of what isn't there but could be if the technology enabled it um, is very personal. And so that's that's really the motivation behind why I'm doing this and why I've been working in, in getting broadband into rural and disadvantaged communities for about 20 years now. This This has been a very long struggle. When uh, my colleague Hannah Trosel with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance uh, analyzed uh, North Carolina in a report, one of the things that we observed from afar is that North Carolina cities seem to be above average with regard to gigabit investment, but the rural areas seem to be considerably behind compared to other areas. It was one of the greater divides, um, with notable exceptions with some of the co-op um, the co-ops that have done investments. And we, of course, know that some of the municipalities like Wilson would do more in rural areas, but they are prevented from doing so. So I'm just curious, is that your impression as well, that the rural communities in North Carolina are particularly left behind? It's it's not just my impression. That's borne out by the FCC statistics. And we worked really, I worked with the ENC Authority and Jane Patterson for a couple of decades. And we worked really hard to get internet across the state. And it was successful. We, we have some of the highest DSL coverage of anywhere in the country. And then the ENC Authority and the organized operations to try and move things forward, um, went away for lots of reasons, not the least of which were political. And as a result, we still have really good DSL coverage 
in rural areas, but very poor, high speed. We're down near the bottom in the high speed. It's like the provider said, "We've well, we're there. We've done our job, and, and that's the end of it. And it isn't the end of it. It's a moving target, and we haven't been on that road in a while. And just to, to clarify, when you say good DSL coverage, I, I suspect you mean widespread, widespread low speed. <laughs> widespread, low speed, hardly adequate, and in still way too many places, just nothing. You know, it's it's in and out. It's not reliable. You can't do the things you need to do in terms of coursework, in terms of telehealth, and in, in terms of public safety. I was in a community this week on the coast, and it's a very upscale community, and the police chief and the fire chief carry two separate telephones so they can maybe get connection uh, depending on where they are in their county, and that's what they're reduced to doing, and it doesn't always work. So it becomes a life-or-death issue, and, and, and that's, that's reality. So, Krista, I'm, I'm curious how you fell in with uh, NC Hearts Gigabits and, and what's motivating you to, to pour time as a citizen into this. We love a gigabit. We want a gigabit. We want everybody to have access to a gigabit. And uh, our message is ultimately hopeful. Um, I think the realities on the ground are stark, um, but our opportunity is great. And we know that uh, coming together, engaging communities, coming to consensus about a path to move forward um, is our best way to move forward. Part of our heritage is we are a project of ClickNC, uh, the first state chapter of the National Coalition for Local Internet Choice. And great work had gone into bringing people together for several years, uh, talking about how to help communities move forward, Communities like Wilson that had moved forward, being an example to others. Um, Wilson, North Carolina, the first gigabit city in the state. And after several years of talking to one another, we realized we have a broad-based message, a message that we needed to get out there and engage others. And that's the stage of work that we're in right now. And so what does that mean on on a daily basis? What are you doing to get the message out there? We continue to have meetings with with one another. We have about 150 people from across the state. Uh, Our convenings are called Fiber Lunches, and it's a community of technologists, of local officials, of small business owners. It's the entire spectrum of community that needs to be engaged not only in a broadband agenda, but what can you do with broadband to advance your community's goals around economic opportunity, job creation, global competitiveness. And our convenings happen over lunch. We want people to have more fiber in their diet. Uh, That's sort of part of the subtext. Uh, In April, we're looking forward to doing a statewide convening um, where several hundred people um, will attend. We'll talk about how to build broadband, how to finance it, and how to use it. So I'd love to ask, and I'm not sure who's going to grab the microphone on this one. Uh, I'm just... I'm curious how you've gone about getting the word out. I mean, I, I think a lot of times, for instance, we have some uh, an idea. We want to try and get in contact with people. It's hard to even figure out who to talk to. Um, how do you go about um, you know, reaching out to people that might be living several hundred miles away? I'll, I'll start with this answer. Uh, 
When we started Charlotte Hearts Gigabit, we started getting known across the country for our community advocacy efforts because it was early on in the day of Google Fiber and, and rollout of Gigabit. So I went to the National Gigabit City Summit that uh, KC Digital Drive held in Kansas City and met like-minded folks from across the country. Uh, so the first time I went to that event, I was a participant, and my eyes were just open as to, wow, this is not an issue just for us, but it's a nationwide issue. The second year, I was asked to speak. So we got more visibility for Charlotte in particular. And as we were going forward, along with the efforts that Krista was just describing, we started holding gig wow events to kind of show the wow behind what the power is of the high-speed internet. And we got involved in a multi-city hackathon, a gigabit hackathon with San Francisco, Burlington, Kansas City, and Chattanooga. So we started to build those uh, national connections. And as we were doing this, other areas in North Carolina were hearing about it and started asking us to participate. So Gaston County was the first group. Uh, the Gaston County Commissioner said, we don't want to be in the shadow of Charlotte. We want to have gigabit internet, too. So they appointed a committee. The committee chairman reached out to us and said, hey, what you're doing in Charlotte, we want to do in Gaston County. So still today, there is a page on our website for Gaston County that you'll see. And then Greensboro found out about it as well. So Greensboro wanted in on this Hearts Gigabit effort. And when you say Greensboro found out about it, the mayor, citizens there, businesses, like, like who in Greensboro? Yeah, it was actually the CIO of the city of, of Greensboro, uh, Jane Nichols, and she had been involved in the fiber lunches uh, that Krista was describing earlier. And she said, you know, Greensboro wants to be part of this initiative as well. So she was leading it from a city uh, technology group perspective. Great. Uh, Deborah. I'd love to get a sense. I mean, I feel like one of the things I spent a lot of time worrying about lately is the divide between rural and, and urban areas. And I'm curious if there's any challenge of having a, a coalition that's kind of focused on everyone as opposed to where the, I might think the need is greater in terms of just focusing on rural alone. Yeah, I think we're all worried about that. And it is a challenge because uh, it's it's a capacity. We have some counties in the state that have about 5,000 citizens. And when you start trying to identify leaders and generate energy, they're, they're focused on more basic things than Internet. They're, in some senses, they're focused on survival. And it's, it's a, it really is a big challenge. So having a coalition is an effective way to try and supplement what might be missing in terms of actual on-the-ground people who could, who could take it and run with it. I think part of what we have to realize is that the solution and the involvement, you can take it down to the individual person level or to the city or to particular offices or agencies. In a lot of cases in rural America, it's, it needs to be a regional approach. So you, you scale your effort and your outreach uh, appropriately. And I think we're going to be working with a lot of regional leaders who then go back and work with the grassroots people and the different committees and commissions in, in their particular geographic area. That's That's got to be the way to go with it. You know, I think uh, one thing that we're trying to do, and we're hearing it at this conference, is just when you talk about broadband and you talk about using it a lot of times people throw out numbers it's very data driven because we think data is going to prove the case and it may prove the case but in terms of reaching people and getting them engaged and involved it's the stories 
it's making it personal. It's, you know, I, I, you need broadband because your niece can't do this. She can't go to school here. She can't do what she needs to do. Your grandmother's going to have to take a two-hour drive to get to the doctor when she could sit in her bedroom and hook up with her phone. You know, making it personal is part of what we're about, too. We're a storytelling platform because we've talked about being education-oriented, and it is education-oriented. Some of that's facts and figures. You target your message and, and package it in the most powerful format you can put together for the particular audience. And for a lot of the grassroots audience, it needs to be visual, it needs to be graphic and personal. And that's part of the reason we launched the, well, it's a big part of the reason we launched the website and that we're actively engaged in gathering those stories and and formulating things and packaging them in the most powerful way we can. Now, when you say educating, I'm, I'm curious because I could go two ways. Uh, one of the, the criticisms I've often heard about people like me is that um, too many people in rural areas just don't think broadband is relevant to them. Right. Um, or you could be making the case that um, to uh, state officials that there's plenty of people who really want it, they just can't get it. So you know, are you dealing with both of those dynamics? Or? Absolutely. I mean, those those are not disconnected. I mean, all the research that Pew's done, relevance is either number one or number two as to why people don't get connected. You know, then once they understand why they need it and they're still not connected, you have the challenge of educating the legislators about how big this issue really is. You know, so it's personal, it's political, it's financial. There's, it's a multi-dimensional problem, and you have to attack it on all levels to to move the needle. So, Krista, I I want to pick on your age for a second. <laughs> You're uh, the youngest person in the room, and and my impression is is that um, people coming out of college, uh, people going into college. They, they can't conceive of living in a place without high-quality connectivity. Um, are they getting involved in this at a, at, to try and push people, or are they content to just stick around in the metro areas and, and build their lives there? Well, I'd say the audience of GigWow skewed younger. And what was GigWow? That was uh, the event Alan described earlier in Charlotte, well, the Charlotte region, uh, that brought people together to talk about what a gigabit can do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, our objective is to, to reach all those audiences, including young people. And uh, part of our message is that there's opportunity for you in the research triangle in Charlotte, or if you want to choose to return home, that there'll be opportunities all across the state um, for you to have the life and career that you want. So, you know, North Carolina has a long history of technology leadership and looking forward and uh, attracting the industries that millennials want to work in, those technology industries. Our objective is to make sure that the rewards are shared, you know, across the state, that the opportunity is there. I just want to throw in there that um, – Part of the answer, and I think part of the question, when you're talking about millennials and and educated people getting jobs, we need to remember that it's really only about 25% of the people who have a college education. So the majority of young people, young people at any age, but even the younger millennial group, um, they're part of the challenge too, educating them as to the potential that the internet and broadband has for delivering services, assets, applications that could help them have the quality of life they want. It's not just about 
a tech grad from NC State choosing to live in Charlotte or or Raleigh. It, it really is a much bigger issue than that. One of the things that I, I feel like a person listening might be thinking is, well, I want to do something like this, but Google's not coming to my community. I, I'm not going to organize around that. Um, obviously, NC Hearts Gigabit is also not organizing around Google. You had a, something to build on. But what do you recommend a, a community do or a person do in Virginia or Nevada or something like that? We'll start with meeting for lunch. Uh, that certainly worked well for us and build from there. Well, let me let me just ask you very quickly. I mean, how do you let people know? I mean, you know, I'm I'm a tech, I'm a technical connected person. I'm relatively social. I don't actually know how I would go about letting people know that I wanted to talk about this at lunch. When we started this in Charlotte, we had the personal connections like you were just describing. And we found that if you start off with a strong nucleus of avid supporters, that they'll spread the word. So if you just start off with 10 people and they go from there. So, yeah, I guess put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, things like that, your own social circle and, and expect them to spread the message. Yeah, social media was definitely helpful. But I think the in-person events were the most effective. You actually had to get people in a room. And we found one of the most valuable things was showing people. You could talk about high speed all you want, but until they sat down in front of a device and actually sent files back and forth or tried video conferencing or whatever, they didn't really get it until they put their hands on it. So one of the effective approaches we started out with was going to a data center that had gigabit speed, and we sat down with laptops and we showed people how to do it. One of the events uh, we held we were remotely controlling robots in Kansas City. We were driving them around in real time, and the latency was so low that you know you turn the robot to the left, it turned to the left. Mm-hmm. You could see people on the other side. Wow, okay. That seems pretty great. <laughs> Another example, all, all the way across the state in Wilson, we just had the city's first hackathon, and, uh, you know, High school teachers, other mentors encouraged students to come out. Students invited their friends. I mean, in a way, it's community engagement 101. Um, it, there's nothing special about the way that we're engaging, and other places can do it too. You know, my message is, is often, um, I, I wouldn't think of it as divisive, but incumbents find me divisive <laughs> because I'm generally looking for others to come in and provide competition to them. I, I'm guessing, I'm hoping that you have more of a friendly relationship with incumbents and that you're promoting better broadband connectivity from anyone that'll do it. Has that been in your experience? We kind of ran into this when we were uh, promoting uh, you know, Google Fiber selecting uh, North Carolina cities, but we found that the real benefit was just having choice that we needed to have multiple choices with high-speed capacity, and when there's choice, consumers win. So we are vendor neutral. We're looking for providers that can roll this out across North Carolina. It's not going to be a single provider. You know, it'll be small uh, co-ops. It'll be small towns. uh, It might be an independent ISP. It, It could be a large ISP. But what is happening is people are getting better service for lower prices. So if we focus on competition and including all the carriers, we're going to achieve that result. So what else should we, we don't, what haven't we covered so far? I would add entrepreneurship. It is a core value of North Carolina, kind of from the history of the state, and, and Deb may want to weigh in on this. But entrepreneurs are one of the first uh, early adopters for technology. You can start a software company anywhere in the state, anywhere in the world, right, if you have the tools like high-speed internet. And there's no reason why we can't promote and foster more entrepreneurship in the state by having this uh, better infrastructure. 
And I would take it to the other end. Some of the traditional industries in the state that are very important, like agriculture and textiles and furniture manufacturing, are the one, to the extent that they're continuing to thrive and grow, it's because they're starting to use the better applications of the Internet to reach markets, to run their operations, to run their production. So in a sense, they're missionaries. And we have missionaries in different sectors all across the state. And so what we need to do is to get them on board and give them a mechanism for coalescing and, and speaking powerfully to the forces that are that are in charge. And you know, we need we need to get regulations and legislation that prevents local choice out of the way. And us as an advocacy group would have limited power. But these people on the tractors, the ones in the production rooms, the ones in the businesses that can go to their representatives and say, y'all need to do something about this because I'm having difficulty running my business. I can't be competitive without um, without this going away. So we can speak with a stronger voice the more people that get on board, and we're just trying to get the need to get the message out in front of more people. You know, we celebrate entrepreneurship as something that's not just high tech. Uh, you know, really a part of our mission is to help uniquely local small businesses thrive. And when they can connect to global markets, that, that'll happen. Now, let me just plug that. I love hearing that. Businesses are moving more and more to the cloud, right? So you're, you're working your, your software and your tools and your systems are all remote and you have to access them over the internet. Well, that makes that internet connection even more powerful. The servers are not down the hallway in a telecom room. The servers are out in the cloud. So that internet access is, is so important. So we're working with a peanut processing plant in eastern North Carolina that has moved to the cloud. So now their number one issue is faster internet access. So this applies not just to a software company, but to a peanut processing plant. So it's a real-life example. That's great. Well, thank you all for, for coming in, joining me here on the runway uh, to do the interview. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Goodbye. That was Christopher talking with Krista Wagner-Vincent, Deborah Watts, Ellen Fitzpatrick, and Catherine Rice about NC Hearts Gigabit. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research by also subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 280 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>